Carl here from Games Brands and Banging Life, GBHBull.com for short. And I am here with 
Ionia. And it's a pleasure to have you all here. This is, of course, Desert Island Dregs. And normally the format for this is three things per category, e.g. games or, or books, depending upon your taste, horror movies, because that is the only area we deal in. And of course, music, rock, punk, metal, whatever your genre is, you get to choose three of each item. Now, normally we would not have as many people, so it'll be three for each person. There are so many members of you, we're going to stick to just one each. I will be here for hours, particularly as I also want to talk and ask you questions in and around the band, the new release and the future and so on and so forth. We do have a little bit of limit on time in regards to Tim. So we are actually going to focus on you specifically to begin with, so you can disappear and do what you need to do. First things first, Tim, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I wanted to check in with you. Being in the UK, being in the UK, being uh, sharing the same situation that it has been for the last year and a bit. How have you been coping? How have you been holding up in the COVID era and these difficult times? I haven't stopped working. So um, pretty much I've stayed working throughout. Everybody else seems to have had um, the being furloughed and had a bit of time off and things like that. But I've just kept on working. So I haven't stopped at all. Okay. Do, are you okay to share what you do? Don't, yeah, no, I don't. Uh, so oddly enough, I have my own, own estate agency business. But we do a lot of rental properties. And so you, you've got to stay open. You've got to be able to deal with tenants and deal with problems. Oh, wow. Okay. So it worked, just kept as busy as it always was. Yes. Yes. Um, I made the mistake of furloughing my staff, thinking I could save some money whilst they were on furlough. And of course, what happened is I had to do their work as well. So <laughs> I love my staff. I found out at last what they do for a living and they are wonderful. Brilliant, brilliant people. And I will never, ever do that again. That's fair. That's fair. What what during this period as well, then um, positive wise, because obviously you've been limited to what you can do, both musically and personally. Are there any positives you've been able to take out of this period, things that have kind of benefited you? The most positive thing is I have regressed my teenage years. In my teenage years, I did not want to play covers. I did not want to do anything except for write my own music. And I have come to realise that the only band that's at all interesting to me is Aonia. I don't give a damn about the other bands which I play in. They're fun. They earn me a bit of money. But at the end of Aonia is what I love. And writing songs is what I love to do. It what, reinvigorated a passion or it just focused your mind? Focused my mind. And then the rehearsal we had last week totally reinvigorated my passion in it. It's just something which we have to do. We have to write, we have to play. And we have to get out there and gig again as well. And I've got to be honest, I've played in so many bands for such a long time that having a year and a half or a year off not playing gigs has not been that bad it's actually been quite but the rehearsal we had last week just blew my mind it was phenomenal to see the guys again to play our music again and to know that we're going to get out there and play this in front of other people i can't wait i'd do it tomorrow mm, that's interesting do you think then like obviously when you could gig and play whenever <laughs> you effectively wanted to do you think you maybe took it for granted to a certain degree? Um, 
I've never taken Aonia gigs for granted because there's a lot to do there. And mm. it's not the same when you're playing music and when you're playing covers and you're playing in a cabaret band, you aren't the main attraction. The main attraction is what they've gone to do. And then you're just in the background. Sometimes they might have come to see you. But when you do an Aonia gig, the fans are there. The fans have come to see Aonia because they love Aonia. You've got to give them that show. But from my point of view, I'm playing songs which I've written and these people know. And it means so much more. Mm. Have you been able to make your peace up to this point with the fact that you have had no choice but not be able to gig, not be able to play live and put so many things for the band on hold because of it? Uh, yeah, that's why they have boxed sets on all these um, Netflix and everything else. Fair enough. Okay, so we're going to dive into the categories then. One choice each. We will start with the video games and the book side of things. Now, do you have a preference? Is there something you enjoy playing games? Do you enjoy reading? Um, I'm probably the one. I like games. Sorry, Tim. Go on. I like games. Yeah, no, no. I like games, but it's got to be a book. I prefer reading. I always have a book. And the book to go back to, which I have read practically every year since I was about is Lord of the Rings. Oh, okay. Is there a specific one of the trilogy or just the entire three books? Oh, goodness me. I read it like a thesis now. I've got all of the extra books and the ads on so that I read Lord of the Rings and then I'll go and open up the history of Middle Earth and I'll open up something else and I'll read all the extra bits and then I'll go back to reading Lord of the Rings. It, it really is just a absorbing, totally mind-bending I remember when I was young at home, there was a radio production of Lord of the Rings and we used to listen to it every Sunday without fail. And I fell in love with the book. We have read The Hobbit at, the, um, at school and I was into Dungeons and I read Lord of the Rings and I just reread it. I love the book, I know it backwards. Okay. How do you feel then a lot about like the collective media? I'm not just talking about obviously the adaptions, the films and the Hobbit and so on, but even the animated uh, movie that was made, I think in the eighties or perhaps music that themed around blind guardian style stuff. Is that extra stuff you enjoy? Um, I always, I'm always keen to listen to new stuff. There's a guy who plays guitar and I can't remember his name now. I've just bought some CDs of his because it's all supposed to be Tolkien based. Brilliant guitarist. The only downside is it's all instrumental. I'd like to hear some words. I'd like to hear somebody put it to proper rock music. I also tend to find a lot of Tolkien-based rock music always tends towards um, folk music, which is okay, but it's not really putting it into your own genre. It's also better and writing music about that rather than putting it into your own words. Having said that, the books are number one. The, the radio play worked okay. The films are okay up to a point, but they don't stick to the books close enough. And Ralph Barkshire, God bless his cotton socks. If he'd made the second film, perhaps it would have been okay. But the first one is fine, but nothing great. The books, it's gotta be the books. Do you think, do you think they'll ever try to adapt it again? 
Only when I've made my billions and then I can do it myself. <laughs> it needs to be done. It, it, it needs to be done as a TV series. It can't be done as a film. It's got to be done as a TV series and done properly. Talking of which, Dan, um, what's your interest I've in about this? this long and hard. Yeah, this 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 Amazon is it right. Amazon or Netflix series that's coming up in the future. What's your thoughts on that? Is that something you're interested in? Yes, I will watch it, but that that's more down the Silmarillion approach, I believe, than um, Lord of the Rings. I think they're going back into the history of Morgoth and all, all the other. Oh God, I sound like a nerd there. <laughs> um, I shall watch it. I, I, I will always watch everything to do with Lord of the Rings because you can't have an opinion without actually watching it and formulating one. It will involve having to read Silmarillion again, which is a very hard book to read, but I do mm. read it. Not as free, frequently as Lord of the Rings, but I do read that book. But uh, it, I don't know. It, it might work. It might not work. It's That's... not as important. There was important bits of Lord of the Rings missed out, which meant a lot. Whereas Silmarillion, it's all history. Okay, uh, then I mean, although it's not Lord of the Rings specific, but The Hobbit, the adaptation of that, the films specifically, I'd love to know. Did you find any enjoyment into that story being stretched in the three films? Yes, I love the films. Oh. I think The Hobbit. The, 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 the issue I have is Lord of the Rings ends incorrectly, as far as I'm concerned. So. I could love watching The Hobbit and then watching Lord of the Rings and we have the scouring of the Shire and it would be perfect. Without that, yeah, The Hobbit is brilliant. I have no issues with adding all the extra subplots and sub-themes in The Hobbit. Um, and it, it, it does plan fairly well. The Hobbit works as a film better than Lord of the Rings works as a film because it's kind of more accurate to the book. Mm. Um, but... It's just because Lord of the Rings follows The Hobbit, so you're going to have a night of watching all the films one after another, and you know when you get to the end of Lord of the Rings, the ending is going to be wrong. Mm. Okay. It's going to miss out a huge chunk of something that Tolkien himself said was a vital part of The Lord of the Rings. It's always interesting when you talk to someone who loves the, the fantasy world it created, um, he created in the, the wider scope of it all, compared to, say, someone like me, who has read the books a long time ago, but mainly just goes, oh, yeah, they're a good, they're a good set of films. I can sit back and enjoy them. And it's obviously two very opposing oh, yeah, differences. Yeah, so no, stick no, no, with, so. yeah, 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 absolutely. So stick with movies then. Let's jump straight into your horror movie choice then. What do you got? That is an, an American werewolf in London. Oh, wow. OK, explain that one then. What's, uh, what's the love in that? Uh, the love in that is because, I mean, the thing about horror movies is there's so many different types of horror movies and there's lots of horror movies I'll watch again and there's lots of horror movies that scare you and there's the, you know, the, the, there's Driller Killer and there's the others and there's things which are just films which grab you for different reasons. American Werewolf in London, I just remember that film because one, it was seminal in the way that they did the um, um, special effects in creating that. And I've watched it recently and it is still very well done when they have the changeover. Mm. I love the, the soundtrack. I love the tongue in cheek of the film itself. And it's not a serious film. You, you don't have to take it seriously. But there are scary parts in the film as well. And, it, and, it's, and it's a wonderfully constructed film. 
I think the films that came after it, much the same as a lot of sequels, are very poor films. And it's got Jenny Agutter in it, and just, she's gorgeous. <laughs> I uh, was going to ask what you thought of the uh, sequel, uh, American Wealth in Paris, but you've already suggested you don't like it. It's not wonderful, but sequels tend not to be. The Godfather is... Uh, Yes, but apart from that, yes, most sequels tend to go downhill after that. We were just talking yeah, well, about then, Alien earlier on, how that, that's a fantastic film, and it, it is a great film, and then it just tends to go downhill. It, it will do. It's the same theory. It's the same theme, but just made worse. But American Werewolf in London was a wonderfully made film, and original. Very yeah, original. Abs absolutely. Even though it obviously themed around werewolves, which aren't, I mean, there are many, many werewolf horror movies out there, but they're not kind of the go-to horror movie villain do you have any interest in werewolf horror overall not particularly no i've, I've tried to watch what, what were the ones which came out with um oh what's that made you out of um harry twilight. potter twilight yes yeah I was, I was trying to watch twilight and it just bored me so stiff um and no blade or wesley snipes then or underworld well, vampire well yeah underworld then <laughs> Underworld? Yeah, I've never seen it. Oh, you should do. For one okay, <laughs> Yes, there's lots, Kate Beckinsale lots of films people tell me I should see. <laughs> do, you, do you keep up to date with horror? Do you watch a lot of modern stuff or do you kind of find yourself focusing on your classics? I tend to focus on what's everyone horror channel at the time and so they tend to repeat lots of films and so I'll, I'll start watching Horror Channel late at night thinking I should go to bed and I'll just keep watching the film. It's, it's, it's not a good way of sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> well, fair enough. I'm sure the Horror Channel um, regularly shows things like The Howling. So yeah, you'll have to check that out if you've not seen The Howling. That's an 80s one. No, oh, I've seen The Howling a long time ago. Um, I seem to recall that it wasn't as tongue-in-cheek as American Werewolf in London was. And that's one of the aspects I like about the film is it's, it, it, it is quite a tongue-in-cheek film. It, mm. it, it does make fun of itself as well as being a very effective and very well done horror film. Yeah, I mean, it's a great encapsulation of horror comedy, the combination of two working perfectly. Yeah. And uh, it's strange these days because people tend to think, oh, what's the best horror comedy? And they go to something like Shaun of the Dead. Would you agree with that sort of statement or would you go, no, American Werewolf is still probably the best horror comedy? No, now then. Uh, Shaun of the Dead is nice. Okay. I'd still go American Werewolf because Shaun of the Dead is really a parody of um, zombie <laughs> films. Whereas American Werewolf was an original film. It's, it's not a parody of anything else. It is a film which was based on the original idea, as much as being a werewolf can be an original idea. No, completely fair, completely fair. Right, your last one then, it is a music one, and you have somehow have to choose one record uh, to take on this Can I just pop you. in and say, guess what I picked as my horror film? Oh, really? John of the Dead. Oh, okay, all right. Trounced all over that, guys. That. <laughs> So, yeah, Sorry, Tim, I'll let Tim finish his music thing. Am I, I'll, I'll be back again. Sorry, you seized up all my I did. I'm sorry about this connection. It's best I can do, unfortunately. But no, we're almost see... done. We're almost done with you anyway. And you can get out, and you can get out uh, out of your room. The music, the record choice. Then you've got one record to choose from. What is uh, no doubt very very difficult choice. What would you What would you take? 
Don't there have to be some bark? Really classical. Yeah. yeah. And it's going to be Houdemenuin playing the double violin concerto in D minor. Okay. Describe then, like, so you listen to something like that. What's the kind of feelings you get when you listen to it? Is it a form of relaxation or is it something that kind of pumps you up, makes you feel good? No, it's, it's absolutely relaxation. It's something that you let flow over you and you can let all the worries of the day go behind you and you listen to the interplay and the, the contrapuntal music and you say to yourself, one, I'll never write anything as good as this. No, you, you, you'll listen and just everything flows away. It's, it's a perfect piece of music. Has classical music in general then been a hefty influence on your musical career today? Yes, very much so. Um, I was classically trained on the piano. I have always listened. I mean, I listen to all music. There's, there's mm. no genre of music that I won't listen to. But if I'm at home and I want to listen to something, whether it's cooking or whether it's just to listen to something itself, it will tend to be bug. Oh, that's incredible. It's the first time anyone's brought out a classical um, composer in this series to date. Get ready. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Right, Tim, before you go then, I want to talk about the future then, and specifically okay. from you and your perspective uh, as to where Ionia might be going over the next year and how you feel about the potential of being able to get out there and perform again come June 21st afterwards, fingers crossed. How are you feeling about it in general? Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. We, we played music on some um, last Saturday, was it? Saturday? And it sounded great. And it reminded me, if I needed reminding, but it reminded me of what it's like to play your own music. We have such good songs in the pipeline, but we've got an album that was released two, two, two three years ago, and we've wasted a year and a half of not being mm. able to promote it. We have songs off that, which are great songs, and we have brilliant songs which we're writing. I, I just can't get, wait to get out there and play to the people and let them hear it. That's what they do need you, to do. That's what do we you kind of feel do. like your momentum was halted a little bit? As you say, you, you had the album out and you're touring and you're doing your shows and you're doing your fest, and then bam, stop dead. Yeah, totally. Um, all momentum's gone from, from, from the music. Um, and it's getting out there and getting these venues open again and getting out there and, and, and playing live music again, getting the buzz, getting the crowd in front of you. Are you concerned uh, or are you confident that when music properly does open again and in EG with no restrictions and so on, that crowds are going to come back? Or do you think there might be a little bit of fear, a bit of trepidation? Crowds will be there, I have no doubt at all. People want to get out. The people want to see live music. They want to hear these bands. You, Spotify is okay. Listen. <laughs> I think the dog just killed the connection again. You've got to be out there playing and they, they will come out and listen. Yeah. No, I can't wait myself, man. I really can't wait. <laughs> Tim, really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Go and enjoy yourself. Great. Will do. I shall have some dinner. Okay, guys. So now the format's going to become a bit more straightforward um, in that we're going to go around the room, as it were, from my perspective. So I will prompt you beforehand. And uh, a lot of the questions you all have heard me ask Tim, 
uh, you're going to get pretty much the same in regards to why and uh, why is about your particular tastes and choices and things like that. So wow me, basically. You will not believe how many times I've heard the word alien or Halloween on these uh, horror movie choices. So if you've got uh, a rare one out there, I'd be fascinated to know. <laughs> so first things first, guys, let's talk about the year as it's been and your personal experiences, how you've been coping, how you've been handling, not just professionally in the band, but how you've been handling life in general in the UK during this period. We'll start with you, Mel. Um, I'm in quite a lucky position in that um, I don't have any children to worry about. Mm -hmm. And I quite like the person who I've been locked down with. So that's always good. <laughs> um, back last May, also um, a stray cat moved into my house and she came with bonus cats because she was pregnant. Mm. Um, so they've literally just turned a year old yesterday, the kittens. Um, so that gave us something to kind of focus our energy on for a couple of months that, um, you know, looking after the cat and making sure that the kittens were okay and finding them good homes and the like. Um, obviously I'm a teacher, so I've been teaching either via this <laughs> um, mm. or in person. So I've been working all the way through. It's been exhausting, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, and, you know, obviously I miss my friends and I miss being able to sing. It's the first time since I was about six years old. I think I've gone an entire year without performing. <laughs> so wow. it's been a bit, a bit, a bit bizarre, but like, you know, we're, I'm not in a terrible situation and um, I understand that obviously it had, it had to be done, didn't it? So we can like protect people and make sure they're all okay. So a um, bit of a mixed experience, but overall quite positive actually. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask then about the positives that you've been able to take out of this period. Uh, is there anything specific that you personally have been able to enjoy to a degree my cats <laughs> <laughs> sounds silly now um, my cats we read at the garden um we've uh you know it's been nice as well i've had a bit of time to kind of sit and read and reflect um and uh we started doing some work on album two so it gave me a bit of time to start working on some lyrics and bits for album number two. And um, when we decided to release the double um, A side single as well, that was really good because it kind of gave me something to um, focus on and work toward, um, you know, with doing the recording and the like mm. for that, so. Yeah, yeah. I don't helped, know if you guys uh, felt the same. <laughs> Definitely. It, I mean, imagine the release of the double A side single as well kind of gave an opportunity to almost remind the world that you still existed, right? Because, you know, the modern world of music is you go a week without posting something and you are forgotten about. Yeah, we'd been trying to um, kind of do the whole remaining relevant on social media thing. So we did, um, I, did I did a live um, where we did an Ask Aonia anything, anything and people could, did it on Facebook Live and people could pop in and stuff. Um, and then, and it was going really well. And it was really lovely for about 45 minutes or so. And then these people came into the comments and they started asking, they were like, I'm here about the couch. You said there was a couch for sale. And I got really annoyed. I was like, I don't understand what's going on here. Um, and my husband's like walking behind the, um, behind the, the laptop and he's going, put a shoe on your head. And I was like, what? And he goes, no, 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 put a shoe on your head. And he went and he got me a shoe. And I was like, I'm not putting a shoe on my head. What are you, <laughs> what are you on? And it turns out that apparently there's a group of people on Facebook, like back during this lockdown was when it was kind of first starting that they would go and they would find live videos and they would type in the chat, just rubbish about couches for sale until somebody put a 
tattoo on their head then they take a screenshot and they go bother somebody else but like I didn't know about this I know right like people have got nothing better to do but I suppose like they literally didn't because it was lockdown right (laughs) and like my husband being from the internet knew about this so he's trying to get me to put a shoe on my head I'm like not put your shoe on my head that's gross what are you doing um and it was only when I went okay guys I'm sorry it looks like it's just gone derailed I'll see you later and I and I ended the live chat that he was like look and he brought up like a um something on Slashdot about it and I was like oh wonderful never mind and then we started doing um so we did some bits so we had like merch mondays we'd have different deals on and words wednesdays where we gave a little bit of the story behind the lyrics and that was quite that went quite well for a while but then you run out of songs to talk about (laughs) because it dragged on and on um so it was nice to be able to have something to post about that wasn't just like apparently today is national smile day here's a picture of us smiling (laughs) yeah okay yeah, I see what you mean, because as weeks go by and you can only do so much and, and everyone is trying to do exactly the same thing, trying to make their way on the internet, trying to stay as relevant as possible. Uh, we'll get into live streaming in a bit. Joe, let's jump to you then. How have you been doing during this period? Yeah, similar to Mel. Um, very grateful to um, not have children. Uh, <laughs> people I know who've got children have, you know, really had it hard um very grateful that I've had a job I've pretty much worked through the whole thing um I work in a hospitality environment running um weddings events and and hospitality outlets essentially on a on a a park um obviously we've had no weddings and events but there's the whole administration side of it that's moving dates and reorganizing hundreds of couples um a pretty pretty rough time um and then there was the you know kind of just chipping in and doing everything you can to help the hospitality side of the business um from 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 cooking pizzas the sausage rolls to car parking you know but just very grateful to have to have been able to have kept a job and and you know um and not been affected direct directly by the pandemic so um, so very grateful for that. My sister had a baby, so that was lovely, um, and that was all all went well. So uh, yeah, very grateful. Um, but it's it's hard. It's uh, I think I um, I'm I want to kind of just brush off and and say yeah everything's fine yeah doing really well. But I think it wasn't until the the morning before our first rehearsal with the band. I had a bit of a breakdown because I was kind of like, I'm going to see everyone again. So mm. I had this moment where I just burst into tears and I'd put some, I'd put, you know, the band on and I just had this moment where I was just like, oh my God, I'm going to, I'm going to see everyone again. And, you know, and they're, they're such great people. It just, it just took me by surprise. that I was just so, I was just so overwhelmed that I'm just going to see, see these people again that I'd seen every week, you know, every well, week or fortnight, you know, for the last however long. And it was just, yeah. So then you kind of realise actually yeah i feel this has probably hit me worse than i'm than i'm willing to admit so yeah so it just took that little trigger Well, you have to ask um even though you know you're great friends these are your family and you no doubt spoke regularly during the pandemic uh the lockdowns and so on did you find you were nervous the morning of the rehearsal nervous to see yeah absolutely we were auditioning a drummer and i was like he's gonna know the songs better than me You are auditioning a drummer, huh? Yeah. So yeah, it was. It's yeah. It's um, not so much not so much nervousness. Just um, 
just the fact that you know you've not seen each other for a while and and there's it, it's the uncertainty that the the last year has has brought to the surface for everybody i think so i knew as soon as i saw mel and everybody it would just be we'd be we'd be straight back to normal because you know we're so, there's such a lovely bunch of people it's you know we knew it would be but the, i think there's that uncertainty um as to oh can i hug somebody how are they going to react you know if i'm going to go in for a full-on hug and they're going to be mm. like no i'm being really sensible you know it's that, that kind of thing i think so yeah yeah no i completely understand that. i remember going back to the very start early stages of the pandemic uh so the first month or two when places was in lockdown but i was still at work of course and uh i had a new 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 boss new manager turned up and i put my hand out to shake her hand she shook it and instantly threw from my head went oh I shouldn't have done that that wasn't right <laughs> and all that sort of feelings that come with that it's been uh it's been so weird now I think we're kind of used to it that coming out of that aspect is a little is a little strange and I wanted to ask about the nerves really because one of the not overlooked because it's constantly talked about to a certain degree obviously is the mental health issues that come with coming out of lockdowns and stuff like that and the idea that you might be very nervous about going out and going back to what might be perceived as normal life and um, it's really, yeah, just try and gauge your perspectives on that as well as, a, as e each individually, um, how you're coping with that part, coming back to what is supposed to be normal. Yeah, I think it's, um, everyone's going to take it uh, um, differently, I think, because I've worked within hospitality, um, you know, I've kind of seen the levels of stupidity that are out there um, firsthand. And you get to a point where I think you, you, you you just have to say th this is the rule these are the rules you just need to stick to them if they're in force you stick to them and that's that's how life has to be until they get changed and i think you just have to follow those those rules and just and just deal with it as it is on that day this moment is not going to be forever mm. i think you just have to make your peace with it um uh, and, and get on with it and i think in terms of a mental health um point of it it's you know working all day in a mask is horrific absolutely horrific but you know i'm i'm not saving lives I'm, I'm i'm dealing with couples who want to get married and serving pizzas you know and i just think if i if i can if the nhs nurses and that can can you know just get on with it and 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 cope with it then for me it's i just have to compare myself to, to that person who's there for 14 hours in a hospital saving somebody's life and I just think you know what just just get on with it just get on with it because it, it, it's for the greater good and you know it's not just about you it's about everybody so um that's my point on it and and you know if if, if other people are um you, you know not wanting to follow follow rules or whatever that's up, that's up to them mm. I won't be in that crowd I'll be doing what is right for everybody so. that's it yeah absolutely no better words than that what about the most positive thing you've been able to take out of this period then personally um i think my sister having a baby actually is uh, and i've moved house as well we bought a house oh, wow. so and i have my studio that was that was part of the bargain was to have my own room so i could <laughs> have my little studio um but uh, yeah my sister she was um due in april so the country obviously locked down and and she was there alone she she gave birth alone no one could go in because she has another daughter um so her partner couldn't couldn't be there with obviously because they couldn't take the the other little one so um she was there alone so i was just worried about her and um his 
dad couldn't drive my mum doesn't have a car so I was the kind of driver so I was was kind of there to pick her up take her and pick her up so um but just yeah very grateful that that all went well and yeah, yeah healthy baby came out of it so what more can you ask for that's Absolutely. exactly what we want yeah. <laughs> and it's your turn how have you been holding up the last year and a bit my man oh I've been exactly the same as always I think we've all worked through um so no rest for the wicked um so I was very wicked <laughs> um, yeah it's it's been an entertaining uh what was it now about 18 months it feels like mm. I don't think it feels like 12 months yeah. it's a lot longer. about 18 um, years mate <laughs> yeah I think that's about right that's, I can tell how great I've gone the last 18 months um uh, yeah um work 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 and work um I'm an essential worker myself so uh didn't get any breaks so it's just been a, a full-on uh 18 months shall we say um, positives and things to come out of it. You've just seen one of the positives that came out was that little fluffy object that was brutally thrust into my face. Um, ah, the dog, yeah. In the same Can way that Mel had a nice uh, litter of, of kittens, I've had a nice litter of puppies. Um, and that was the last puppy that's due to go uh, tomorrow. She's on her way to a new home and we've made five families very, very happy and, and a lot of young Aww. children very, very happy, which is lovely. Um, anything else great coming out? I'm not 100% sure, to be honest with you. Um, it's been an interesting time. I think the same with the, the other guys coming back last week into a rehearsal room mm. were slightly trepidatious in some ways, but to actually walk in there and go, I'm so comfortable. <laughs> I'm so back at home. It's not just the building. Oh, no, it's these people that make me feel this way. Um, not knowing, so, you know, suddenly going, hang on, I've got to play songs that I haven't played um, for, well, a long time. Yeah. And to suddenly, for us to look at each other and go, yeah, we can do this. Oh, we are doing it. Oh, damn, this sounds good. Damn, this feels good. <laughs> and it's been, a, it's been a great week since then. It's like, it's like right, let's get playing. Let's get some new, buy some new toys. Because um, that's the thing, sort of been on hold since we've uh, not been gigging, so there's no no new real amps and new bits and pieces of that. Mm. But now there is. Because <laughs> like, what can I buy now to have a bit of fun with? Um, and that's been, I suppose, my uh, my run through of the last eighteen months. Unless yes. you can remind me of something I didn't answer. Sorry, say that again. Unless you can remind me of one of the questions I didn't answer. Oh, no, no, it was great. We, yeah, you're trying to sum up 18 months in a, a matter of a minute. I'm sure there's plenty of things you've glossed over personally. Now, um, when you say you worked throughout it, what, with that, with that focus on your job, would you say that was the thing during this period that kind of kept you, um, I won't say going, because that, that sounds like everything else was negative in your life or something like that, but would you say it was what kind of kept you energised, as it were? Oh, yeah, strangely enough, well, my job is I'm, I'm a refrigeration and air conditioning engineer. Mm. I spent quite a lot of time in mortuaries. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, as in next next four days, I will be spending my time in, in mortuaries repairing uh, refrigeration units that keep those loved ones that have passed um, as they need to be kept. So it, it's been a bit of a, a challenging time. 
to say the least. Um, it's 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 not an easy thing to deal with. No, of course. Um, so whilst a lot of my time is all spent spent strangely enough in supermarkets, um, which again is is the highest risk or was the highest risk for actually catching COVID uh, through, throughout the whole pandemic or one of the highest places. Mm. Um, it, it's been an interesting time dealing with, uh, with customers, with, with clients, with the, the people we support and all the other bits of it, and watching how people have actually reacted to the pandemic. And I think we've seen the best of people and the not so best, if for want of a, not saying not the, bad, the worst of people, because it's certainly not the worst of people, mm. but their reaction to certain things is, is very strange um, when faced with adversity. Um, so has, has my work seen me through it? It's kept me busy. It's kept, mm. me, kept me paying my bills, which is always nice. Um, and uh, yeah, um, I can't say any more than that. It's, it's been a nice steady job. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, I find it amazing. And, uh, you know, the sort of, the mortuary aspect and things like that it's not some i've never met anyone that's done that kind of work before so that's incredible and uh, certainly gives you a different perspective on these entire events the interesting thing before in in, in a, a previous lifetime i was actually a registrar of births that's marriages <laughs> 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 which is professional hatch matching dispatch um so I've, I've definitely seen it from both sides or all angles Oh, hang on. So I've, married, I've been married before, so you have seen that. I've been born, I've seen that. But I've got one more thing to do personally. <laughs> I'll leave, I'll wait for a bit longer. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. All right, Stu. Um, the newbie, but not the newbie, so to speak. Um, congratulations on, obviously, full-time joining Ionia. Uh, it's a pleasure to speak to you. How have you been holding up during this period? Yeah, not bad. Um, I think for us personally, it's probably quite a it was quite a nice step back and relax for a while um for me i was i was gigging every single weekend nearly before that and i think um you know you you, you sort of forget what it's like to have a little bit of spare time mm. um so then when you've when you suddenly bang everything has stopped it's nice to just sit back and you know relax a little bit uh, so no, it's been fine for us. Um, you know, we've been working from home pretty much from the beginning. Um, so that's been a bit of a lifestyle change instead of driving into an office every single day. And then, yeah, I think, I think on the whole, yeah, we've just tried to sit back and just enjoy it as much as we can. It's nice to start getting back to some level of normality of just having the option of doing stuff. But um, I think I've definitely sort of, you know, some people have obviously had it much worse than we have, and I think we've managed to just sort of trundle along as such. No, that's fair. That's fair. That going back to what you said at the start there. So you were gigging every weekend, and then it stopped. Mm, early, that yeah. initial stop and not having anything for a certain period of time was that more? Was that a particularly rough period? And it's only in hindsight that you're able to kind of go, okay, I'm glad now that I had that time, that calm down time. It's a funny one because I think we were sort of expecting it for a few you know for a few weeks before and um, mm. I was in a tribute band at the time and um, we got to we had a gig in Dover it was the last gig we had and I remember that being getting there and it feeling like the one gig too many from a from a you know 
social distancing thing, it, it felt weird. And I remember that being the one where I was sort of thinking, mm, yeah, I think this is it for a bit. Obviously, it was a lot longer than I was expecting yeah. that it would stop for. But um, no, I don't think it was. I, th- I think I think probably we were ready for a break a little bit. But I think because we'd sort of expected it for, you know, coming up to it, it was nearly like every gig was feeling like, do you think this might be the last one? Mm. Oh, no, we've got the other one still going. And then I remember that last gig, it was, it just felt it had an odd feeling about it. For me personally, anyway, I don't know if everyone else felt the same, but I remember just feeling that one was that one too many sort of thing. Yeah. And then, yeah, that was that. But um, no, it was pretty strange, I think, more than anything at first. And then it was, it was nice to have my schedule to open up a little bit, but then obviously we couldn't do anything anyway, so it didn't make a difference. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I think it, like I said, I think it was, it was quite a strange feeling at first, but um, I've certainly, you know, certainly at first anyway, I enjoyed the novelty of having free weekends for a change. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, it's always good that there's a positive you can take out of it. That sort of level of freedom that you get from that even if it was too long in the end. When mm. I have to ask you, one of the things you hear a lot when it comes to people who obviously went to an office once and now have to work from home is that that work from that that work life starts to impose upon their home life and that whereas before you might have been doing a nine to five, been able to mm. walk out and leave it, you start to find it encroached more in your home life. How have you been able to keep that balance? How it was you- difficult at first. I think I think for the first few weeks, um, it was difficult to, you know, switch the computer off and and step away from it and not be, you know, especially with the, the, the work computer being next to my, you know, my, my studio computer and my, my gaming thing and, you know, everything in the same room, it was too easy to sort of turn and look at the other, but I think it was just getting into the mindset of it and just, um, you know, on a Friday night, I still religiously, I'll, I'll pack all the gear away mm. and put it all in, in a box. So it's not just there and sort of like mentally switch off from it. So I think at first it was, it was difficult, but in the end, I think, you know, it's, it's a lifestyle that I've, I've personally enjoyed. I know there's a lot of people that have struggled with it. And again, I think we've been quite fortunate. Well, me and my partner are both in the same situation, um, both working from home and we've had, you know, that company with each other to, to sort of keep yourself going a little bit. Um, you know, people living on their own and stuff. I can completely understand how it'd be, a really difficult you know um change not having because some people use the workplace as their social you know for their for their place yeah. uh, socializing so for us um i think you know we've we've been quite fortunate with the way that it's been been all right for the for the vast majority of the time you get little ups and downs and stuff like that with it and certainly at first like i said it was it was quite different i think you enjoyed the novelty of it for a bit and then it was yeah, you were you were catching yourself checking work at eight o'clock at night and going, "What am I doing?" Yeah. <laughs> um, but now, yeah, I think now, if anything, it'd be I feel like it'd be more of a struggle to go back into an office. I feel like there should be a grace period of going back into the office where I'm allowed to wear slippers for a few weeks <laughs> and you know keep my pajamas on for another month or so before I have to start dressing like a real person again. Ah, the office wear, the office uniform. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> So I want to ask then uh, about you joining Aonia. It seems pretty seems pretty obvious as to why you would have agreed to take the gig, as it were. But in your own words, what made you decide? Yeah, sweet, I'll become a full time member of this band. Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, I knew the guys for a while before um, from gigging on the same 
on the same circuit we we crossed paths quite a few times mm. um in gigs um still with my other band and we'd uh constantly bump into each other and obviously befriend the guys and then um one of the aonia fests they asked me to to jump in as a as a sub for one of the gigs and uh and that felt good and it went yeah. well and we all got on well and we gelled and then um when the guys asked me again to sort of do a similar thing on a more permanent basis um yeah it wasn't a difficult decision at all to be honest i think the biggest difficult side of it was just having the time to do it and making sure that i could because right. at the time i was already in two bands at the time and i'd be adding a third one so for me personally that was the biggest you know decision was to try and make sure that it was fair on everyone else in all three bands that i could that i could do that but from a creative side and from a you know getting on with the guy side it was it was no it wasn't a difficult decision at all no that's cool that's cool glad to it, have you. sorry go on, what was that <laughs> i just said we're very glad to have Stuart. <laughs> Well, I mean, was it what was it simply a matter of well, we worked we worked together with Stu and uh, obviously subbed in at Aonia Fest and other times and so on. That you were like, look, we got to ask him even if we know he's mega busy. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> That's it was, fair we, enough. We we knew that we knew that he was a good guitarist. We knew that he was a nice guy. We played with him before. Um, so um, when James um, announced that his wife was pregnant and he'd be leaving. I, I think it was like a day later that we we're like, so we messaged Stu, let's message mm. Stu. <laughs> See if he wants to join full time. And we're very glad that he did. <laughs> yeah. And Stu, I mean, it's the British underground. You've got to be in three or four bands. It's done thing now. We've got a shortage of drummers as well out there. So they all have to double up uh, and triple up. So yeah. why not? Tell us about, about it. it. <laughs> 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 You're not the alone. I know so many bands that are constantly looking for a, a drummer um that's the point then who wants to tell me if you want to put it not 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 whether or not you've got a drummer because you can announce it in times but how goes that search <laughs> going well i think yeah, so i think wanna... i think it'd be a little bit I, I, um we don't want to talk about it too much obviously because it'd be a little bit sort of disrespectful um but um no um we we've we've had a guy come along and, and have a jam with us and and things are looking positive for the time being so we'll um we'll see how it goes um but i don't think we really want to speak too much about it at the moment say no more that's that's still very positive absolutely so guys we're gonna um do the first round of choices so one each because as we said it'd be too many otherwise so one each you can choose a game video game whichever one you want from whatever era you want or a book if that is your preference so we will start with mel um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the increasingly misnamed trilogy. That's my favorite. <laughs> Why is that um, increasingly misnamed? I, I have to ask. I'm not too familiar with it. So, because there's five books. Oh, so it's called a trilogy. Um, I think he started off to write three and then eventually he wrote four and then he wrote five. Um, so by the time it hit four, it was the misnamed. And on when he did number five, when he wrote Mostly Harmless, it was the increasingly misnamed. And then at the end, I won't spoil it for anybody who's working their way through it, but the, he ends Mostly Harmless in an incredibly definitive way that prohibits writing any more Hitchhiker's books. So I think he got tired of it and wanted to do Dirk Gently instead. But um, yeah, no, I just... Um, 
is so wonderfully written um, with um, lots and lots of little embedded clauses and asides. Um, so in the very beginning of the um, first book, um, there's a bit where the protagonist, Arthur Dent, is um, he wakes up and he's hungover and there is a bulldozer ready to bulldoze down his house to make room for a motorway bypass. Mm. Um, and then the guy who's the foreman of the, con of the construction, um, it describes him. And then you get like this two or three page um, just jaunt off into his backstory and his ancestry and then brings you back to the present. Um, and the end of chapter one ends with the earth being destroyed. And then the rest of the five books is about Arthur Dent and his journey through time and space with his mate Ford Perfect, who is not actually from Guildford, but is actually from uh, Beetlejuice <laughs> so, one, or one of the planets around it. Um, and it's it subverts so many expectations um so it's at one point he winds up on a spaceship called the heart of gold and he runs into another human woman who he'd met at a party um back when they were both on earth and so it, it works he's obviously incredibly smitten and it, it leads you to believe that it's going to be a love story and it's just not <laughs> um and she just shuts him down at every pass and they know and they never get together and i like that um unless you watch the film in which case they do you can tell in the film the point at which Douglas Adam died while they were filming it because about the first half an hour is wonderfully in keeping with the style and then it just becomes like a rom-com in space. <laughs> really? Um, okay. <laughs> you see, this is, I mean, I've never read it. I've not even seen the film. Um, I mean, obviously I'm aware of it, but to try, how do you, to try and sell it to someone. So what you were just doing there was so frantic and so wow, there's so much going on. How would, you <laughs> How would you sell this series in, an, in a short, I guess, almost a few words to someone who had never read it, heard of it and thought, you know, I want to give it a go. But it seems like such, such a chore. It's a wonderful mixture of sci-fi and humor. Incredibly well written um, with a completely and utterly relatable protagonist who you root for and pity at the same time. So take it you didn't like the movie adaption then? No, I was disappointed in it. I really enjoyed it um, for the first half an hour when we went to the cinema. Like I said, it was incredibly in mm. keeping with it. Followed the books and where it didn't follow the book, it was very much in keeping with um, a lot of the things that Adams had written either in the book or in the radio series. Um, and uh, then, um, it, like I said, it just seemed to take a left turn away from that sort of very irreverent, um sci-fi it's not even a parody it's just sci-fi mixed with humor the, this very irreverent sci-fi comedy style into essentially becoming a romantic comedy in space and that was not the point of it <laughs> um it, it because it, in the books Trillian just rejects Arthur there's even a throwaway line that she has where um she needed to talk to the one person who she really cared about the one person who would actually understand but Zephod wasn't available so she had to settle for going to talk to Arthur and she she's just a very quite strong figure she was an astrophysicist and a journalist in in the books that it kind of brought her down to just be a little bit of a screaming victim which she was a little bit in the tv series as well i suppose but no i'm just it's it's an odd thing it's a series that tends to have a very very fanatic fan base um who are like just this little corner of weirdos and my dad gave me the books when i was about uh, he gave me the first one anyway when i was about 12 or 13 and i just loved it ever since and i reread it about every four or five years 
well your passion your passion certainly comes through for it it's uh it's that level of passion I think that makes people more interested like again like I said I said already I've never even considered reading it now I'm like okay I better check this out <laughs> highly recommend it it's great fun Joe, your choice then um so was this the book it can be a book or a video game depending upon oh, if you play games or you read just checking <laughs> Um, so yeah, I don't really play video games um, since I was young. So um, in terms of a book, uh, there's lots of books that I would take on a desert island with me. Mm. But if I'm on a desert island and it's deserted, as indicated, yes. I want a book that's going to take me to a different place. And that book would be Memoirs of a Geisha. Okay. And this book was given to me by Arthur Golden um, by my mum. Um, she, um, I was... It was about 10 years ago. So I'm going hard. I need a book. Not really sure. She said, try this. Um, and I was a little bit like, mm, it doesn't, it doesn't grab me at all. Um, but from the very, very first page, I was right in, in the story. It was the use of um, the, the descriptions, the colors, um, the just, the just real sense of everything, the sights, the smells, the sounds of the place that this book happens in just took me on a completely, it just, I was just completely immersed in the book. Um, and I didn't put it down for the whole holiday. And it's just been one of those books. I've not read it to be fair for a couple of years. Um, but it was just one of those books where I think if I, if I, I want to get away from, if I just want to be taken completely out of where I currently am, I'm picking up that book. Um, so if I was on a desert island, I would want to not be on a desert island by myself because, you know, that's like my worst night nightmare. <laughs> no one to talk to. Um, I would I would take that book. Yeah. I say you're going to have to explain this one to me. I've heard of it. But is this uh, is this a fantasy or is it historical? Is it literally memoirs of a geisha? Am I being stupid here? It's no, it's a, it's a fantasy. It's not it's not real life. Um, it's just a story of the life of a, of a geisha. Um, and it just follows a, a, the life of a particular geisha and everything she goes through from what she has to wear, her daily routine, um, how she has to work um, and, and the things that they have to do. Um, but it it was it was it was all about the description and everything, all the all the words that they used in the book, the descriptive words mm. that just took me straight there. The story wasn't. Um, it was captivating in a sense, but it wasn't the most thrilling journey. So like Mel was talking about the, the um, Hitchhiker's Guided Galaxy is kind of like, you know, uh, an, an amazing kind of story with lots of things happening. Whereas this story wasn't partic isn't particularly, you know, amazing, but the way that the book describes it and the way that the, the storyteller tells a story, it's just, it, it just blew my mind really. So, yeah, I Your recommend it. I would recommend it to anybody. It's really, it was really good. Really enjoyed it. Not seen the film. There was a film, I think, made. Oh, was there really? There was a film. I never, I didn't want to, I didn't, because I was mm. so, I loved the book so much. I just didn't, I didn't want to risk it. So I never, I've never watched it. So. Yeah, do you kind of wonder if uh, characters and things you will have pictured in your head and how you see them in the book will obviously potentially not reflect. I mean, this works for anybody yeah. that's ever watched an adaption of a book, uh, work they enjoy, perhaps how you picture it isn't as it is. Is it something, that world, the world uh, of Geisha and in real life and stuff, is that something you've ever considered traveling to, to go experience um, from a perspective outside? 
hundred percent. I love I love everything about culture. I lived in London for quite a few years, and and the culture that's there was just fascinating. I would love to go to to travel to many corners of the globe and 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 discover different cultures. Yeah, I would hundred percent go. Yeah. I'd have to ask them before we move on. What's the what's been your favourite culture to experience to date? Um, oh, that's a good question. Um, oh, I don't know. Probably, um, probably a Polish wedding. I really? dated someone who was Polish for a while. Polish. Went to a wedding. It was two full days. Uh, I don't generally drink spirits. <clears throat> I drank vodka for two days and didn't die. <laughs> So, you know, if, if somehow that miracle happened, they've, they've got it, they've got it down. It's because, they, it's because they force feed you food like every two hours or something. <laughs> but that was, yeah, that was brilliant. That was a two days, yeah, a two day party. It was unbelievable. The, the things that they do, yeah, at the wedding. It was amazing. Yeah. Oh, incredible. Okay, Andy, let's do you then. Go on, Andy. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm trying not to repeat what everybody else has said, which sort of gives you a very good idea about why we all get on so well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not a massive gamer, though I do like anything to do, probably like Real Racing 3 or anything else. Like if, if, if it's a bit of a racing game, I'm, I'm, I'm on for that. Um, books and stuff, I, again, I could just go with everybody, everything everybody else has said, read them, listened mm. to them, watched this, this, the TV programs listen to the radio plays everything else so i'm on those um, i'm totally in with joe on stuff like that i've, I've started watching american gods the neil oh. gaiman book uh on sky and compared to the book i'm just <laughs> it's really doing me head in <laughs> just, no shadow doesn't look like that he's bigger and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. all that kind of stuff so that's really strange um so book uh, if i was on a desert island i think it'd be some by bear grills <laughs> Oh, survival <laughs> book, right? To survive. Be handy. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very yeah, as, as the basis, yeah. I'm probably just a practical person in the band. Very yeah, sensible. I'll carry heavy stuff. <laughs> yeah, we should have said it. I should have said at the start, but we always get asked so many different questions when we start going through categories. We go, well, can I have this? Or can I have an internet access and all that? We just ended up giving up and being like, you know what, it's a free for all. Yes, you can have internet <laughs> access. It, yes, you can have this. <laughs> yeah, I think if, if then, if it's books, um, I uh, like Joe, I think I, I'm going to go for something that's so painfully, painfully stereotypical. Anything by Terry Pratchett. Anything oh. disco. Uh, Anything. Yeah. Carp Jugulum, um, Interesting Times, Pyramids, <laughs> Faust, Eric, <laughs> Mort, I don't know, anything on that line I would be very happy with. Oh man, you're a man off my whole, I don't know, you can't see it because it's too far oh, away Oh, there you go, that. 40 odd books of, of, of practice then. That is... Uh, he's 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 my favorite author ever um he literally i mean my entire arm ta i mean tat is tattooed with pratchett stuff he yeah i mean i completely uh oh you could choose anything and you'd have a yeah, great time you could do. yeah absolutely everything and go for it yeah when did you first uh when did you first uh get discover pratchett and discord uh, and so on god i'm i'm, I'm it, it, as you say you just go back to the, to the early stuff and you sort of go in I don't know. It, it, some somehow you seem to. It's always been there. Mm. As kids, you know, you sort of go, "How old was I actually?" Because it sort of fell. You were all in the same genre. It was all the Lord of the Rings. It was all strange enough. Exactly what um, Mel was saying. Um, 
Hitchhiker's Guide, and we, we they all sort of merged into that whole role of fantasy. That yeah. Growing up, we, you just go, when's the next one out? What's going to be next? And you just absorbed all of it. Um, so it will have been passed on by friends and, oh, contemporaries and stuff like that will have said, have a read of this. This is a great one. Then obviously once you've read the couple and you're hoping they're in the right order, um, though it doesn't seem to matter. <laughs> you can quickly work out. Weird sisters can be a bit strange if you get that in the wrong order, I think, because you mm-hmm. can't work out who's the king. Why are you a king? Yeah. Uh, um, so I, I can't exactly say when. Uh, a, a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, and it's simple as, as you said, he's always been there, and I think that's a, a first summation. They used to say, uh, they used to say Pratchett was unadaptable, and then, of course, mm. they tried to do a couple of adaptions. Have you had much experience with that? I don't want to... I've, I've, you, yeah, because but... obviously they, they've done the radio versions of the Weird Sisters, and they've done a, an animation for that as well. It's one of those strange ones obviously they've done the sky versions of going postal and stuff like that which yeah, actually do you know what fair play it's not too bad not too bad um but reading the book or actually strange enough i quite enjoy some of the re- i've revisited them as audiobooks mm. and some of the narration is absolutely fantastic if it's a late i can't remember there's a couple of women that i've read for him uh who have actually done the narration um but we've had um Oh, Baldrick, Tony Robinson. Oh, Tony uh, Robinson, of course. Of um, Neil from The Young Ones has done a couple. And there's yeah. another gentleman that's done stuff later on, and he's absolutely fantastic. The voice of death is just fabulous. And I, I always uh. enjoy which who's going to do the librarian and go, hook. <laughs> <laughs> so, and it's like, who does it the best? Um, oh, it's interesting that they would do the uh, audio recordings, a lot of those voice acts, because they appeared yeah. They appeared in the video games of the Discord doing voices mm-hmm. as well. People like Rob Bryden as well and things like that. Yeah. Oh, it's incredible. We could, um, I think we could fill the next hour as, as I, just talking about Discord I, I think Joe's agreeing, I think Joe's agreeing with us then. I'm quite sure Mel will be piping in there. If you missed the conversation at the beginning, it's like why we all get so, on so well is because <laughs> we could have all just swapped over the books and we'd have all read our films and said exactly the same thing. I was just going to pop in with, um, you know how you were talking about Terry Pratchett. Um, mm. Our ex-guitarist James was in a stage production of Mort. <laughs> oh, was he really? <laughs> yeah. Who did he play? Um, Tim and I went to go watch him. <laughs> Up in York, yeah. I, I'd have thought it'd be more of a Rincewind character. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> All right, Stu, are you going to complete a full house of books or are we going to be doing a video game for you? No, I'll go, uh, I'll go a book again. But this was really difficult for me because I don't read a lot of fiction. Um, I mainly read um, history books and stuff like that. But a fiction that I did really enjoy um, that, that I keep going back to was World War Z, the book. I thought that was incredible. I thought it was really well written when it came out. Yeah. Um, I almost picked that as my book, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Great, great book. Um, but yeah, that was the one that I remember when that came out and it just being a little bit different. Not what I was expecting. Um, really well researched. I think that was the thing that always got me the most about it, just the sort of micro research on tiny mm. little details around the world and I always found that because I've always had a lot of interest in different cultures and stuff like that. It was really great to see someone researching, you know, like small little details about a place or, or you know, and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think that's the one I'd pick. Um, 
like I said, it was quite a difficult form for me with books because I tend to read boring autobiographies and history stuff. But it's your choice. You could have picked one of them. But I mean, what an excellent choice. It is an incredible uh, book, as you said yourself, Max Books's um, yeah. thing. And I love that you, my, my favorite personal favorite thing was about that level of detail as well, scientific into effect. Basically, for me, it made it feel r- real, like something Very that real, felt yeah. real. Yeah. Yeah, definitely so. Yeah, especially for something because, um, you know, the zombie thing isn't something that I'm into particularly. Um, mm. I've never really, I'm, I'm not a massive horror watcher, to be honest, but um, zombie films especially, I was never that keen on on them. Um, but the way that that book's written is really, really sort of refreshing and different. And it looks at it more from the, the zombie side of it. It's nearly just, uh, you know, it's like a byproduct. It's, it's like a yeah. small detail of it. It's more about the sort of politics and the, uh, you know that side of it in the book and that's what I really liked about it you know it was used in a good way of sort of vaguely sort of criticizing like the US government which is his country because he knew about it but also like just social sort of aspects of it and I, I like that part of it because I always quite enjoyed the sort of post the post-apocalyptic stuff and they sort of delved into that quite a lot. Have you um did you ever consider checking out his other sort of sister work, things like uh, the zombie survival guide? Yeah, I read the guide first, was the, the first oh. one I'd seen. Uh, read, sorry. Um, so I'd read that when I, I can't remember when that was now. It must be 2005 or something like that. It must be wow. around yeah, about then. Um, but the, the, the World War Z was, I mean, it's completely different, isn't it? It's a completely mm. different tone. Um, but no, I didn't, I, I, I'm not aware of any other books he's written. To be honest, uh, he's an, um, I'll give you a recommendation that he's written a new one in uh, last year. I found it. I randomly came across it. It's like it's basically similar to World War Z in that it's a diary entries and stuff like that. Except it's surrounding um, what do they call them? What 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 do we call Bigfoot? What what are they? Sasquatch. Uh, there Sasquatch, we go. Sasquatches. Yeah. Sasquatches. Yes. There we go. Uh, okay. I can't remember what it's called, but it's out now. I'll give that a search. Right. Um, I have to ask them as well because it seems to be the done thing with all, all your book choices. The movie adaption of World War Z. Terrible. Did you see it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I remember being very excited about it coming out, about a film coming out. But I'd always spoke about, and this is obviously before the days of um, The Walking Dead, I'd always said that the book was screaming to be done as like a miniseries, mm. like, a, like a Band of Brothers type 10-part series thing was what I had in my head that they could have done. And then when I heard they were doing a film, I thought, oh, all right, okay, fair enough. That might be might be interesting. And then when they said, oh, it's it's a Brad Pitt film, I was like, mm, slightly less interesting now. Mm. And then when I when I did see it, you know, there's not really any. I think the only real relation to the book is the title. Uh, really, it came across in the end. I found very little in the film that related to the book itself. Um, it's impossible but... to adapt into a movie. It's as simple as that. So why are you even trying? You know? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't. That's what I mean. I think it was one of them things that probably could have been done better as a as a series. They could have done a series where you know every episode centers on a different part mm. of the story, and you know, I don't know how that would work budget wise, but um, that was always what I sort of had in my mind that they could have done with it. So yeah, the film. You know, it's one of them things that I keep forgetting existed the film, to be honest. But the book was one that I've, um, I, I have come back to quite a few times. It's the difference, isn't it? That effectively mm. the book will be timeless to a degree. The movie is just a thing that you see once and then forget it even exists. Well, it works in a way for me because a lot of the times when I've had films that I've enjoyed that the books come out, it's sort of ruined my 
impression of the book because they sort of overwrite your imagination of how you mm. think characters are supposed to look and stuff like that. Where, um, but because the film is so far gone from the series, from the book, sorry, um, you know, it's not impacted that at all for me. So I can quite happily go back to the book and you know, completely ignore the fact that the film ever existed. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Guys, that was four very unique, very clearly well-loved and passionate stories about each of your choices. So now we're going to fly through the next set and we're going to look at horror movies. Uh, you all move position because Mel went off, but we're going to start with you anyway, Mel. Mel, your horror movie choice. Shaun of the Dead, as I said earlier. <laughs> you did. You did. Okay. So why? I'm... Oh, Dion. Yeah, why? Okay. So I can't deal with gore okay. or people being tortured. I can't cope with it in film. Um, Craig, our manager, constantly takes the mick out of me because he's like, you've got too much empathy. You can't cope with it. You think they're real. <laughs> and that's <laughs> it. Like, I can't even, like, you know, the scene in James Bond where they're torturing him, the Daniel Craig one, I'm like, I can't, I can't cope with it. I can't watch it. Um, but with Shaun of the Dead, because the gore is comedy, it's done so over the top and it's so obviously fake, mm. I can cope with it. Um, without feeling the need to go and be violently ill somewhere. <laughs> I'm a bit of a worse, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, that's, it, it's, I, I haven't seen it for a few years, but I, when I think I'm like, well, it's got some gory bits. There are some blood and guts spilt yeah. here and there. And um, there's the bit at the Winchester where the, um, the her flatmate's being torn apart by the zombies. And of you course. See, you see, but it's so obviously fake at that point and that's part of it and that's part of the tribe it was low budget wasn't it as well but oh of course um, uh dylan moran's character yeah that's it yeah isn't it yeah and um but it it, it was very obviously done as mm. and and also it's got it's got like a nice ending like I, I obviously characters pass away because it is the nature of the story but you know in the end and i'm sorry if this is a spoiler alert, but it's been out for like 15 years folks um so um but at the end when, when they're able to kind of cure ish zombieism and reintegrate them to a certain degree into society and and his mate's still there and they're still friends and everything and so i just think I, the the ending's a bit happier than a lot of horror films and i i like the humor of it and i like simon Pegg, so I, that's my that's my choice <laughs> to ask then was that your first experience of Simon Pegg and Nick Frost or do you kind of are you a spaced person do you go back to those I early love days spaced. I um, love I, I am not from your country so <laughs> no <laughs> um, <laughs> it was a, we went my husband and I went to the cinema to see um was it 28 days later or 28 weeks later or something whatever our zombie film was it came out around the same time mm-hmm. and I did not enjoy it and so he said okay well next week we'll come and we'll see Shaun of the Dead and I was like literally just said I don't like zombie films I don't like this I enjoyed reading World War Z by the way (laughs) (laughs) I can cope with it in books I can't cope with it on the cinema um but yeah so he's like oh no 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 you really enjoy it it's like a comedy um so no that was my first experience of Simon Pegg was uh Shaun of the Dead (laughs) that's fascinating that one one day one week you would see 28 days later and then the week later you'd see Shaun of the Dead they are completely Bloody completely different films, even if the overarching theme is infection. I mean, <laughs> that's funny. What about- We went, we went so through a period of time where we'd, we each of us would pick a film one week on the other. So oh. like we'd see Phantom of the Opera and then we'd see something shooty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> obviously made what an impression a, on me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What about the Cornetto trilogy overall? Is Shaun of the Dead your favorite of the three or? 
Um, do you know what? I've seen Hot Fuzz, but I haven't seen um, the end of the, the World's End. World's End. Yeah, no, I haven't seen that one. Oh, okay. Um, I should because I know I would. I know I'd really enjoy it. But no, I do. I do really enjoy. Um, I really enjoyed The Shaun of the Dead. I preferred that one to Hot Fuzz. I think maybe just because I have enjoyed reading horror. Maybe that's why I've enjoyed that a bit better. Considering horror is predominantly blood and guts for the most part, particularly in the modern day world, that you can find any horror movie in the last 20 years or so on that you enjoyed, that's <laughs> a good thing. <laughs> Joe, it's your turn. Um, I'm going with Evil Dead. Okay, right, stop right there. We know what the question is, original or sequel? Uh, original. Wow, okay, so really. Do you prefer the, what, so it's because, do you prefer the more horror side over the comedic style that came in? No, it, it, for me, it's got, it, it's the fine balance of them both. Uh, I'm a pretty, pretty similar to Mel. Mm. The, the blood and guts can, can reach a certain level. And then I'm just like, nope, not watching that. Not watching that. No. So for me, it's got to be a fine line of that comedic. It's not real. Don't really look real. It's a bit crap. It's a bit, you know, the, the effects and stuff, but it's just, I think it's the rawness of it that I really like, and it's it's the the, the comedy value and the and the not not too serious um, about it. So uh, yeah, it's just I, I, brilliant, brilliant uh, films. Yeah, I mean, I get the real because obviously it was such a super duper low budget at that time. So it seems like there's a running theme between you both so far. In that low budget means, well, okay, it's going to detract from the reality of it, and that kind of um, <laughs> whereas normally you'd kind of think you want high powered visuals and to look realistic and stuff <laughs> yeah i've just watched the what's that new um zombie one zombie. army of the dead army of the dead watch that quite enjoyed that actually um and i do like all the films i do like them when they you know it looks real and it's great but it's just i have to be in the mood for that you know most of the time it's for me it's about the enjoyment of a film you know i don't want to go to bed and have nightmares i want to sit watch a film you know, not have to, you know, get scared or really, really focus on a film. You know, I just like to, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, just breezing in and out of it. Yeah, laugh, laugh. But for me, yeah, it's, if I'm going to watch something like that, I'll go to the cinema. Like if I really want to, you know, be there 100%. But for me, in terms of horror, um, I, I have to have that bit of separation. <laughs> no, that's completely fair. <laughs> Andy, I've got to jump in quickly. You seem like you were you seem like you were trying to say something, but you're muted. Just unmuting. Now I'm just laughing. I'm again, as I said, we, we're all on the same page as a band. It's crazy, um, and, and I'm really enjoying the original. Um, <laughs> it's yeah, the original is definitely better. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm with everybody on all this. It's been an interesting one because again, Tim gave us the. Um, werewolf in london which certainly would have been on my list um and, and as tim and i are very similar age i think we we grew up with that genre so from mm. um chucky and all that lot through yeah. to um who else did we, obviously nightmare on elm street and oh, don't go in that cool. house and and uh, and all those video nasties and snuff kind of movies that were out through the 80s we lived through uh, i think if it was going to continue on the things that i would think about obviously hellraiser would be there um mm. hellraiser series uh event horizon 
Oh, wow. Would, would be there, which is just a phenomenal film. Um, I did not sleep for two days after I watched Event Horizon. I, I can believe it. She said, watch this now, you'll like it. It's science fiction. She lied. Imagine <laughs> if they'd left in all the stuff they cut. If they'd left in the stuff oh. they cut from Event Horizon, you would have been awake for a week, I think. <laughs> yeah, which is just amazing. Um, and, and I think that's the thing now, because I've been through all the uh, uh, Saw movies and... Mm-hmm. Of final destination, this and that. We grew up with them. I, I'm kind of not not immune to them, but numbed by them, shall we say? Yeah. Um, I think I'll go with the comedy because that I, that just brings something new to it. So I I I, I do did like that. What I mentioned to Tim before with the vampire films um, with uh, Blade. Um, what is it? Blade with uh, Wesley Snipes and mm. uh, the other ones with Kate Beckinsale. If yeah, if I was going down the Cape Beckinsale route again, I think I'd have to be Van Helsing, um, just oh, for the boots, God. just for the boots. Um, <laughs> but if 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 I had to be pushed, uh, let's have another Peter Jackson film. I think. Um, oh, I think I'd, I'd brain go dead. Brain dead. That's the one. <laughs> or, um, oh, what's the other one? Um, num, 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 basket case. So I think basket case. Okay. Right, so you you follow through so much. I mean, yeah, you're right. You've got a rich history of that. And I do find it really intriguing as well. The fact that you're suggesting you've seen so many and you're numb to it. It's something I can completely relate to. Uh, numb is the word I would use to describe a horror movie experience <laughs> these days. Put it this way, Joel, you said you loved Army of the Dead, and I, I, you know, I'm each to our own. Of course, I'm thinking, God, I hate that movie. Hey, that was two and a half hours of my life. I'm never going to get back, kind of thing, you know. But Joel then, Batista, bear wrestling. <laughs> yeah, I mean, taste is taste. It was good for the kind of film it was. Oh, absolutely. I think it was better than expected is probably more accurate. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. No, that's cool. So, uh, right. So, you said Brain Dead, then you went to Basket Case. Now I'm torn between the two because I think Brain Dead is the movie, you know, that's the pure entertainment and obviously the level of violence and gore that reaches such a slapstick level that you can't take it seriously. Um, Take that, you basket- space bastard. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Basket Case, I think it's such a, it's obviously got such more traditional horror, even though it's very, very silly. It's certainly more traditional horror. Um, why why Basket Case overall then, over everything else? It, it was one of those films, I, I think, I, I, I saw Brain Dead and I just went, what the hell? Mm. Um, and I was, I was young, I was in my teens and I just like, and it was just... <laughs> so it was like, what else has this guy done? What 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 can he do? And I just watched it. And I didn't know whether to, I think I just laughed a lot through it. I think it was just one of those things when I was a teen that we watched and watched and watched. It was like watching uh, Monty Python again and learning lines from it that you could actually repeat. Yeah. Uh, and it was just, yeah, out there, a bit strange. And again, because I think it, at the time, you felt as if you were possibly a little bit not subversive, but unique and outside the norms, because you knew about this strange New Zealand guy that was making these really odd films. Um, but we are back in what the eighties, I think. Okay, okay. Um, what about what about is being so numb to horror? Have you seen something in the in the modern world of horror? Say the last decade, just say the last decade that has really really excited you, made you kind of refreshed briefly, as it were. Um, tough one right that's hard that's hard mm. I, I sort of think I've, 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 
I feel like I've seen everything. It's like it's it's hard to find something that is. It's as you say. Are they going to reboot Lord of the Rings? How are they going to do it as a different series? Are they going to do that? And it, it's it's uh, I, with everything. As human beings, we seek out novelty. We seek out new mm. things. We try and find something interesting and new. Um, I'm getting old, <laughs> and it's it's a lot harder to actually stimulate those neurons to the same extent as what they were when I was a teenager. When I first saw uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, mm. oh, that was, uh, yeah, that was just a shocker. Um, nothing since then has made me do that. And I think yeah. I think that's the kind of thing. It's it's a bit, you know, watch, watching the Cenobites and watching Pinhead was those movies had it was like watching star wars for the first time if you go yeah. back and watch star wars now and you see the pieces of spangles for darth vader they stuck the sweets on his chest <laughs> you know and you're watching it in 4k hd and you're just going oh my god how did i love this so much <laughs> when i was eight or nine or whatever the case may be but it took you away. It gave you those feelings at that time. It had not been done. So watching Freddy and watching Jason and watching all those guys, they had not been done. Yeah, okay, we had Nosferatu, we had Peter Cushing, we had the whole Hammer House of Horror, which I grew up with through, you know, 1970, Peter Cushing and, and um, oh, God, what's the Peter? Oh, I actually met the man. Vincent Price, sorry. Oh, Vincent Price, yeah. Good old Vincent Price, you know, just just fabulous stuff, but so cheesy. Mm -hmm. But again, if you're watching that when you were eight, you were sort of like, I'm not sleeping tonight. Um, and so got, having that kind of stuff all as, as a predecessor to all the other things, you sort of just go, oh, uh, and a lot of it is just reboots. Yeah, you know, it's just like okay, it's just another variation of it's just another variation of it's just a variation of. Yeah, there's nothing I, I, yeah, I, I, think, I, I drop into more fantasies. I, I think like the series is probably more entertaining now. Things like um, the magicians or something like that is is something that just lets me get away, which is a bit of humor and a bit funny and a bit silly. I think again, finding that escapism in humor, even mm. if. It, got a horror element certainly makes it a lot more enjoyable i have to say if i was on a desert island i definitely wouldn't be taking a horror film on a desert island the last thing i want to do is scare myself silly so I would on that point i would probably take blackadder <laughs> if we had opened up to any movie ever which you know, considering the site just run deals with horror and horror exclusively, yeah. we will realize there would be the possibility that people would start pulling out Mary Poppins or Bambi, <laughs> and it wasn't really going to work as well. <laughs> it doesn't right, quite fit branding, does it? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Steve, you're up last, man. Uh, for me, it'd be uh, Dog Soldiers. Oh, wow, Neil Marshall. Oh, yeah. Yeah, great film. Yeah, I'm. 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 I'm not the. Uh, I'm not the biggest horror fan, like I mentioned before. So I'm. Um, I'm a little bit picky when it comes to horrors. Um, but Dog Soldiers always had that great sort of mix of, of being, for me anyway, genuinely sort of creepy, and it had you know the humour involved as well. Um, you know, it's it's a very British, humoured film. <laughs> um, I also always thought the. I, I, I never was keen on CGI stuff and I always loved the fact that it's all, you know, it's real 
yeah. puppets or whatever they were. And uh, yeah, I always thought it was genuinely creepy. Um, more so because it's not CGI and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, no, I'm going, I'm going for that one. It's a great choice because it's almost a forgotten Neil Marshall movie. People think Neil Marshall and they go, oh, The Descent Guy, that's an amazing movie. And then they mm. forget Dog Soldiers was also his work. And yeah, it's yeah. great. The same very, yeah, very awesome. I also was the, the, the woods um, that they sort of do it in looks very similar to the woods near where I grew up in. So it, 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 there was like an added bit of sort of lingering fear after watching the film whenever I'd walked through those woods that there'd always be a bit of like... <laughs> you didn't consider going to look to see if you could find a valley and a house? I certainly wasn't looking for anything. No, I was getting out there as quick as I could. Oh, incredible. All right, guys, we... I am keeping you a while. I'm sorry. These dudes who the drag on, especially the more people there are. So let's get the records out of the way. And then I've got a few more bits for you. And then we can all say goodnight. Mel, get us started with your musical choice. One record, please. Um, I would bring Nightwish. And I it's a, it would be a toss up between Wishmaster and Once. But I think I'd have to go with Once just because of Ghost Love Score. Okay. I, I realize that is the most basic answer for a female vocalist in an operatic metal band to give but I make no apologies for the fact that I love Nightwish. <laughs> is it Nightwish as a unit you love or is it one specific member? I'd have to ask. Um, I particularly, I, I loved um, I loved the albums with Taya. I never got to see them live with her, unfortunately, because I got into them after um, they'd moved on to Annette. I've seen them live with Annette and I've seen them live with Floor. Um, and I really, really loved Floor's band After Forever. So I saw After Forever when they played at Rock City in Nottingham. Um, and then I saw Revamp when they played at Rock City in Nottingham when they were supporting Africa. And so I, I really, really like Floor as well. And her version of Ghost Love Score, um, which we saw at Bloodstock in 2018, was like, <gasps> just amazing. Um, so I do, I, I really like Floor. Um, I really like Taria. I think that um, Thomas is just an absolute incredible genius when it comes to musicality and his writing. Um, and when I saw them at Bloodstock and then I went to go and see them on their tour, I went to Birmingham and I came away feeling like I've had an experience. Mm. <laughs> like I felt like, you know, when you go to the theater and you see just a really incredibly powerful musical or something, I, I came away feeling like that, like just kind of almost like I couldn't move at the end of it. Um, and I think it's just the power um, in um, the power in the music and the way that they create the different soundscapes and the stories. So is there a specific era you like the most? I mean, we are effectively talking about three eras, three vocalists. Is there one you enjoy the most? Is it basically the early stuff more than anything else or floor? Um, I do prefer the earlier stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I really do. Um, the later stuff, um, the, the longer songs, um, I, I have to like really be in the mood to listen to like the half hour epics. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> though at one point they almost say Aeonia. There's one point in the spoken bit. Um, it's the last track on the previous album that they released with um, with Floor. And they say Iona, I-O-N-A. And I was like, almost, almost, guys. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I do. I, I prefer the early ones. Um, uh, just I, I think a lot of them are um, possibly a little bit catchier. So songs mm. like Wishmaster and um, Sleeping Sun is obviously beautiful and Come Cover Me and stuff is, it's, you can pick it up a bit quicker, but their more recent albums do as well. Um, That's fair. Ilan's got a very lovely catchy chorus as well, hasn't it? So. Yeah. 
I wanted to ask as well. So you said you saw them when uh, when Annette was fronting, was singing for the band. Was that 2007 around Dark Passion Play, 2008? Yeah, it was the 2008 Bloodstock. Um, oh. And um, she, like the week after, they cancelled a massive run of their US shows um, because she was poorly. So I don't want to like judge her performance because I think it was at the beginning of her being really poorly. I'll tell you who impressed me that night was Marco because um, she was dropping notes and he was jumping up to join to to fill in the bits that she obviously was very poorly and couldn't do oh. um so so i don't want to i don't want to like nastily judge annette because actually she's a very very good vocalist in her own right i think they maybe tried to push her to do things that she wasn't um possible like her voice wasn't particularly comfortable doing in the same way that taria or Flor, mm. um with their more operatic training and their wider ranges uh, were able to do but I quite I quite like quite a few of us the, the stuff that they wrote for her like Amaranth and things were lovely yeah the part in the pendulum and stuff like that I mean I asked because that was my experience I mean uh, my experience we, we pretty much double up I got into them after uh when Annette was fronting the band and I saw them play the Astoria in London when they were playing venues that bloody small back in the day uh and then eventually it would be a same year Bloodstock with Floor okay cool Joe What's your choice then? Although I think I have a rough idea what you already said, didn't you? Well, so I tr keep trying to go back to this, I'm on a desert island situation. Yeah. Um, so I was thinking, this was a really difficult question for me. And I was thinking, do I want something metal to like, to like gear me on to like, you know, survive? Um, <laughs> and I thought if I'm on a desert island, I'm not going to survive, quite honestly. Um, just from the lack of conversation, <laughs> probably. Um, <laughs> it's because none of us remember to bring a Bear Grylls book. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah. If we get stranded, please, I want to be stranded with you, Andy, because, you know, you're, you're going to know what to do. <laughs> um, I'll be the entertainment. Fine, I can sing and, you know, all that business. Um, but no, for me, uh, an album that I go back to time and time again is um, an opera uh, album. It's by a mezzo-soprano called Cecilia Bartoli. She's an Italian mezzo-soprano um, and she has an album called Sospiri, which means um, sighing, um, sighs in mm. Italian. Um, and a lot of the songs on that album are very um, expressive, um, quite, uh, they come from tragic stories within opera. But her voice, she's a true mezzo-soprano, which means she's got the deep, rich bottom end, but she's also got the, 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 the top notes as well. And listening to her singing anything is, uh, it is like Mel says, an experience. I feel like when I've never seen her live, um, would, would love to go to Italy and see her in, a, in an opera, but she's just so expressive. Um, and I'm, I'm there with her, you know, I'm, I'm 100% there with every note she sings. And she's just um, a lot of um, a lot of opera singers that I listen to can be very um, they sing it beautifully. You know, the notes are on point and everything, but she adds that element of um, of reality, of the rawness of a voice. So if, if, if it's, a, you know, uh, um, a real difficult song you hear it in a voice she's not bothered right. about the fact that that note wasn't not quite right obviously the note is right but it's not as pure because she's within her voice she she's acting that this is a difficult moment in the the story or whatever and you hear it you hear it but it it doesn't affect it doesn't affect the performance or anything like that so um yeah for me she's uh 
true, true um, performer um, and brilliant opera singer. You almost describe it like, it almost gives like a level of realism. I mean, I know obviously music is, you know, but where you listen to music, listen to recording, you can all feel disconnected from it, even if you've got an emotional feeling towards it and so on. You describe what sounds like, almost like it makes, you, makes it more real for you with those sort of difficult moments. 100%, 100%, yeah. Um, a lot of um, all those singers that you listen to, you, 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 I listen to them for, for the, uh, Learn, learning the song so she does a lot of songs oh. and she can she can vary um play with the melody a little bit to suit the emotion that she's trying to to convey whereas i listen to other tracks of that song but different different singers because i kind of i want to right i'm listening to it to how see how they you know how they portray it and, and whatnot but when you listen to her it's the it's the full picture it's 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 everything you you're there and it's the full story so yeah, it's raw. It's completely raw, and she's got an absolutely natural talent. A little bit like Andrea Bocelli. He's he's also got that extreme rawness within his voice, mm. um, almost non-operatic in certain uh, songs that he does. But yeah, it's 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 that rawness for me that's yeah brilliant. And that would if I was on a desert island, that's that I'm shutting my eyes and that's 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 taking me away. <laughs> I was going to ask because I was wondering what it made you feel like, whether it is an emotional thing or was it about uplifting or building your energy up and so on. But I guess it's about relaxation more than anything else, right? Yeah, it's um, it gives me a satisfaction that no other right. music can. Um, really, like I, I listen to to metal, and I was I was wavering between the opera and Ancient Bards, the Alliance of the Kings. That album okay. for me is when I need to go. I need to go. <laughs> that is on. Uh, uh, full volume um but yeah it's i have a very different emotional response to to opera um than i do to metal do you find that mel it's interesting because i have a i have a real <laughs> i have a really different emotional experience from opera than i do to metal and they're both extreme emotions mm. but they're completely they're just completely different me yeah no I, I do I find the same with metal it tends to be sort of um oftentimes an excitement or um like a like an almost frenzied whereas um listening to different opera songs it seems to be almost maybe more plaintive and wistful I guess yeah and not to say that um there aren't you know obviously there are metal songs that can make you feel quite um wistful, wistful and plaintive as well mm. um but yeah, no, I, I, I am, I'm with you. It's like they activate different bits of my brain and different yeah. bits of my heart. Opera's more euphoric for me. I get mm. more of a, that kind of a feel. Whereas with metal, I feel, I feel more, yeah, you know, like I'm ready. <laughs> I can take on the world a little bit. <laughs> Awful. Oh, great. All right. Andy, you're up. Uh, I, I, I can't be intellectual and say pulse the planet sweet or end nasty like that. I just can't do it. I'm sorry. Um, oh, it really is a, a kind of a toss up for what I grew up with. And so yeah. I'm going to go Motad Ace of Spades because I, the minute that song starts, the minute album starts, and then through to the chase is better than the catch, and we are the road crew, and, and it's just 
yeah, I remember standing there. I went, saw the bomber tour. I saw the Aces Bates tour. I, I was there many nights. Um, it just brings back great memories, and I just love that. That that trio was just the perfection. God, God bless the three of them, even though I'm an atheist. <laughs> um, if if I'm gonna, I, but then I go, okay, I'm gonna cheat because if it's an album, I'll take a double album. So wow. I'm gonna possibly take Thin Lizzy Live and Dangerous. Oh, um, and that's because Phil was the, the reason I probably picked up bass. Him and John McCoy, strangely enough, uh, from Gilly. Really? Um, yeah, it was hello, uh, Geezer Butler, and all the other guys were out there. It, it really was uh, ugh, just watching Phil get up there to be able to sing. He was the coolest black guy that there was at the time, and it was just like, and he's Irish, and I'm half Irish. <laughs> it was just like it's it, the man sang to me and he sang through his bass and he sang through his, his vocals and his songs and his songwriting. So I think I'd have to be there with Emerald and singing off on the Irish Isle and mm. asking the girls if they'd like a little bit more Irish in them. <laughs> <laughs> Almost have to ask them, considering the bass influences and a lot of ones you mentioned out vocalists as well, Lemmy, Bo, and so on vocals then was that something you thought yeah i'm going to be a bass player and a vocalist oh i, I wish <laughs> if, mm. if, if, if i just only if i could yeah i mean as you can see both of them are, you know I, could they be any more alpha male i think any growing up lad you <laughs> growing up in, in in the 70s and sort of that would be like you know the two of them okay you could class earlier on in the 70s with the uh, susie quattro who i thought was absolutely phenomenal um, you know, and really inspired me as well. But Lemmy and Phil was just like, oh. And obviously John McCoy, who stood there in, in the Gillen band, you know, playing with his hand on the top of the, the bass. Uh, and mm. again, a larger than life character. You know, one of his next bands was, was called Mammoth because they were all Mammoth. Um, th that was the thing. It was just inspiring. Gordon Rowley from, oh, there's, there's been so many great bassists. He was a great vocalist as well, actually. Um, yeah, what I don't know that powerful driving thump with alpha male, it was just like, Yeah, that's it. I want to be that big guy in the front of the band doing it. I just said, I do, and I still take up as much stage as, as possibly can. My girls will agree, they've both, they've both got the bruises and the scars. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness me! All right, Stu, you're up. What have you got for us? Yeah, this was an impossible question, really, of wasn't course. it? I've listened to so many different types of stuff and all up for different different mm. moves. But a, a one that I, I probably would have to come back to is um, I was always a massive Muse fan. Um, so I'd probably got Origin of Symmetry, which was one of the first albums that I sort of got into. Well, of <laughs> them anyway. But that was when I was back in school and that was like a massive thing for me when they came out. Oh um, yeah, I've just looked. I checked two thousand and one. Yeah, I was in school. Mm. Well, I, no, I just left school when this came out. So I remember this being a big deal in my youth as well. Mm. Yeah, it was huge, and it, I think they had that that sort of Queen esque um, bombast, and and they were always a bit over the top. And I always found it a bit strange. They, they sort of got compared to bands that I never thought they really sounded like at the time, and people were always comparing them to things like Radiohead and stuff like that. And mm. I always saw. Muse as more of a Queen style, big sort of space rock prog type band than than a, an indie Britpop thing, which they seem to get sort of lumped in with at one point. Um, but they're just one of those bands that have seemed to change every single album 
as well, and they got a completely different sound every every time. Have you um, followed? Have you followed along? Like, are you still a Muse fan? Would you? Say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the only, to be honest, the only album I, I wasn't keen on is the last one. It was the last, that was the only album that wasn't. I found with some of them, you have to give them a few listens before I get them. That's the only one that I never really got mm. into. There's a few songs on it, but um, no, for the for the most part, yeah, I've been a huge fan of them from from the beginning. If you did bring Origin Symmetry, would you not have to skip Plugin Baby though? Considering no, how overplayed that was. No, but overplayed. It's overplayed for a reason, though, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's a great. I, I remember hearing that for the first time, and just, I mean, it's 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 Bach basically. They've, they've nicked a, a classical piece and and put it through a fuzz pedal. Um, but no, it's it's just it's a it's a timeless album for me. That's completely fair. And I, I imagine if I asked you all this exact same question, the music different one specifically yeah. tomorrow, you'd all have a completely different album. Yeah, completely. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, right. So coming to the end now. And of course, as of May 28th, time recording, a few days ago, you released your double A side. Show must go on. If you dare. So let's start really. And anyone can take this, whoever feels most confident about talking about it. So when you decided, well, I guess, how did you decide you were going to redo If You Dare as an acoustic track? Joe, you're probably the best one to talk about this because it's very much your baby, isn't it? This um, it, I don't actually know how the conversation went to release it as an acoustic. Mm. I don't remember that. I remember we... we. Yeah, I think it was always, always in some ways going to be an acoustic. I think it was always meant to start as an acoustic. Right. Um, and and it and it, it it sort of didn't go that way, did it? Really? No. Uh, or or I think when when Shamak and stuff we, when we were at, when Slick brought it with us, there was always a, a mention. But bringing an acoustic on stage was not in the wheelhouse at the time. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I think yeah, yeah. It was it was um, yeah. I think it was it was always meant to be that different song but I think that we you know, like you say we 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 kind of included all the drums and and that nice heavy bit in the original um yeah and then yeah we'll have to ask you then uh considering obviously you're so familiar with these songs your own music which do you find you prefer now do you prefer the acoustic version or are you still leaning towards the original on seven well, we, we had a chat about this at the last rehearsal mm. and we said, what we're going to do is we're going to merge the two. <laughs> okay. The acoustic's in a different key. Uh, we changed the keys. We thought it just sat better vocally and um, with the contents of the context of the song. Um, but then we said, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be, be great to, to merge them a little bit? So uh, I think that's probably something we'll play with. The lower key really works, um, I think, especially with the acoustic, just because we don't have that kind of heavier bass underneath. So whereas um, we were able to, in the original key, it kind of worked because there was the the thicker bottom, I guess, mm. so, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but with the with the acoustic version, it's quite sparse in places. And so because the vocals are so exposed, just dropping it down that little bit and it gives it that, um, just that Grounds little- Grounds it a bit, doesn't it? Yeah, and it gives it just that little bit of a slightly more melancholy feel to it as well, I think, which. 
working on the track when it came to putting it together as as it is now did it kind of did it kind of refresh the seven for you because obviously for us the seven is x amount of years old for you obviously considering how much you worked on it previously and recording and producing and all that up to the release it's a lot lot longer so i'm not going to suggest that you're sick of hearing the seven because obviously you haven't been able to play songs for it for quite a while now but redoing this song so to speak did you did you find it refreshed it Stuart, are you sick of if you dare? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth right there. <laughs> no, um, I think certainly from you, you, you get a different uh, you get a different look at it when when you send a recorded track to someone else to, to mix, but when you're the one that has to do the mixing mm. and you have to listen to it a million times. I'm going to give it a few weeks before I listen to it again. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. I love the honesty. No, it was, uh, no, I'm joking. It, it was great. I, I love doing it. It was, it was fun for me from a, from a personal side. It's obviously the first thing I've recorded with the guys as well. Mm. Um, that and the queen track. Um, so for me, it was quite fun. It was a bit of a, an interesting experiment to see if I could actually record acoustic guitars in a, in a, bedroom overlooking a very very busy road so that was a little bit of a um you know i was interested to see how that was going to come out um uh, but no overall I, I really enjoyed it it was a it was a fun one to work on and uh it was, it was a long time coming you know things got delayed a bit um for a while so it was nice to get it all sorted and and done and get it out oh absolutely i mean the fact that it's out now available too listen buy and so on and so forth guys i've got to ask though what what the reaction to it both to build up the lead the pre-orders and all that all that stuff and now haven't released is it something that's taken you by surprise are you satisfied are you happy to hear that people are enjoying the song that one specifically as well we'll get to the queen one in a minute and <laughs> um, to sort of tie the last question and this one together um something that i think is quite nice about this is that I think as you guys um, mentioned in your um, video review um, the uh, it's track nine on mm. the album and so um, I think it kind of it's an absolutely beautiful song mm. um, and I do get like that little bit of choked up when I hear it um, and you know just absolutely jam-packed full of meaning but I think because it's quite late on the CD and because it's very different everything else it does kind of get lost a bit so yeah. i think it's been really nice to be able to actually kind of take this song and go actually look this is a really good song let's just shine a massive light on it and the reaction has been so overwhelmingly positive hasn't it yeah yeah it's been it's you know i've got loads of friends and family who know i've been in the band for so long and you know they they you know not many of my family are metal fans but they mm. yeah, support and everything um but this this one has caused you know, um, it, the, they've noticed this song more than, than any of those and say, is this a new one? I say, no, it was on the album. Uh, they're like, really? <laughs> Probably didn't get to it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> what you say, Mel, is absolutely valid. Um, but yeah, they said, oh, your new song? I was like, it's not new. It's not new, <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> Similarly for me, I've got, I've got parents who, you know, don't appreciate my taste in music mm. and stuff. And whenever they hear, you know, something else is coming out something else has been recorded it's almost like a, oh god what now <laughs> um 
but it was it was a sort of surprise like oh you, you do sometimes play that acoustic guitar that we, we bought you 20 years ago <laughs> <laughs> amazing um and of course you know we've already mentioned you made the incredibly daunting decision to cover queen because queen covers seem to go one or two ways badly and all right for the most part, because everyone who tries to do Queen tries to copy what is ultimately a legendary vocalist or guitar player or bass player and so on. You guys chose the show must go on, which is definitely not from Highlander. I do apologize for <laughs> us getting stuck on Highlander for like two minutes straight, but it is an incredible version of the show must go on. Why, why, why that one from the Queen catalog? I think, I think we just said it was similar to If You Dare, it was fitting in mm. terms of the subject matter with with how things have been for everybody. Um, you know, live music being put on standstill from the beginning of last year and early and, and still not really back up and running. Um, but everyone being at that point where we're wanting to get back up and running and you could, there's nearly like a, a light at the end of the tunnel and it's, it's nearly like, you know, Tim touched on a little bit about us rehearsing last week for the first time and you know there was the fear first of all that I couldn't remember you know you know how do I turn this amplifier on where does this plug into like I've not stood up with a guitar for over a year what what do I do <laughs> do I still look cool um, <laughs> but then we um you know once we start playing and getting into it and you know it just gives you that little bit more excitement to get it on and I think the song really ties in with that it's just that you know, wanting to, it's easy to sort of give up and think, oh, it's never coming back. It's, mm. you know, feels ongoing and never ending. Um, but I think you sort of have to remind yourself that at some point, hopefully soon, things will go back to normal and we need to carry on. Mm. I think it's really important as well, um, just a bit of a moment to remember, of course, all of the engineers and technicians and stage managers and lighting engineers yeah. and all of the people not just the performers, and, but all of the yeah. amazing people who work behind the scenes um in the wonderful world of music and theater um and how they've been absolutely just decimated over the last year and so it's a little bit of a ray of hope not just of course for us who would like i would quite like to go and see six eventually it's been rescheduled three times um and but you know so um it's not just about you know i would very much like to go to bloodstock and have a pint yeah. in a field with my friends um but those people as well who their life is wrapped up yeah. in mm. in the What's arts happening? yeah yeah yeah, I feel like that's the perfect way to end that little chat there as well. You're absolutely right. And uh, I'm sure you're the same as me. It's just praying and hoping to God that our venues, grassroots venues, uh, workers and all of that will get through this and be able to continue as it was. Because without that, bands like yourselves and stuff like that, you know, you will suffer as well if venues close. And then we fans, we suffer. It's, it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. It's very uh, yeah. depressing. Um, I just want to add as well, of course, for those who do not know, the release also comes with a third track. It is, of course, Violet Hours off the album, but live at Bloodstock 2018, where you guys rocked the tent all those years ago. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it was just a year ago. That's how time works now, right? <laughs> it was that long ago that I was actually in the crowd at that gig <laughs> watching. Amazing, amazing. Oh, it's still, it's a great, great live version because it's a live version and you can hear a crowd 
and that is the best live versions possible. Guys, uh, before you go then, future stuff really more than anything else. Of course, you've been on hold and obviously Tim went in depth uh, for a bit of that. I just want to see if there's anything you can add towards it. Not necessarily whether or not you've got shows booked or shows planned because we all know that is an if and what and we shall see. But of course, you've had to put your own fest on hold several times already and it's kind of like anything you want to share about that or going forward or work on the second album and so on. Um. Announcements about our festival will be forthcoming in the next couple of months. It's not happening this year, um, unfortunately. Um, we've got two shows booked this year. We're playing on the 2nd of October. We're playing at Record Junkie in Sheffield, and that is for Mogstock, which is an aid of rain rescue, which is an animal charity that is Sheffield-based. Um, and then on the 11th of December, um, uh, Blaze Bailey has kindly invited us to play at his big Christmas bash, and that is at KK Steel Mill. Um, so KK Downing's venue, which is where they call I'm a little bit starstruck. Um, and we're playing with the amazing Absolver and Vice on that as well. So that's going to be an absolutely fantastic night, isn't it? Um, does somebody yeah. else want to talk about album two stuff? Because I talked a lot. <laughs> we love listening to your calm voice, Mel. <laughs> it's the accent. <laughs> I'm taking you to a desert island and you can just read books to me. <laughs> <laughs> but Andy's books, Andy's books about survival is what yeah. we take. <laughs> <laughs> now I think it's uh, we're just knuckling down and writing new stuff. We've got a few few things um, ticking along. Um, but yeah, I mean, we can't really put any life into them until we get back to regular rehearsals and um, uh, get a drummer in place and, and mm. kind of yeah. Uh, that was that was the great thing about seeing everyone though last week because I think in a way, you know, we've we've written bits and we've sent stuff backwards and forwards to each other the last year, but getting back in a room with everyone, I think it sort of lights a bit of a fire under your backside and mm-hmm. sort of reignites a little bit of passion to to you know I, I think it's hard to find inspiration sometimes. I think everyone thought that for the last year I did anyway. I thought for this year I'd have I'd get loads done. I thought yeah. I'd be so creative because I had the time to do it. And it turns out that, you know, without anything going on, you've got nothing to inspire you to do anything. So it was really hard, I found, to, to keep completely, you know, creative and, and inspirational the whole time, inspired. So seeing everyone last week, I think it definitely, you know, gives you that boost and ideas start flying around your head about what you want to do. So I, um, I think we should hopefully get some stuff together soon. I think it sounds like it's safe to sort of say your state your train is in the station um we're just waiting on lots of things to happen to be in place and of course the country to help us out by opening up a bit there and then the future's pretty pretty bright for you guys at this stage hope so we'll we'll, we'll be ready we will be ready that's all you can be and i think <laughs> on that front that is the perfect way to wrap this up. Guys, thank you so much for doing this. We're off. Enjoy your Desert Island. Enjoy your horror movies on a Desert Island there, Joe. And thank you all for taking the time to do this. It's been long. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. It was lovely to talk to you. Really enjoyed it. (laughs) Thank you very much for watching. You can check us out on gbhbell.com as well as on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr. Go to Patreon to help us out over there. That's patreon.com forward slash gbhbl as well as Big Cartel where you can find some of our merchandise. We have a podcast running on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. And of course, if you like this video, do us a favor, hit the subscribe button and help the channel grow. Games, horror and heavy metal. What else is life for?